0: And welcome to A Shot in the Arm podcast. Welcome to Mexico City. This is our special editions of the podcast looking at leaders and science here at the conference and more broadly. Today, I have the absolute honor of meeting with uh, a long-term colleague and friend, Greg Alton. Greg, welcome to A Shot in the Arm. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be here. Well, this is a particularly important moment both for you and for Gilead, and uh, I guess especially for you, as uh, just last week, it was announced that you are going to be moving on and doing bright new things at the end of October. How does it feel?
1: Uh, it's it's an odd feeling. It's sort of bittersweet. You know, I've been at Gilead. It'll be actually, so the my last day at Gilead will be October 4th, which is the exact date of my 20-year anniversary, which was not a coincidence. I, I really wanted to be able to say I was at Gilead 20 years and um, so it's bittersweet. I'm going to miss the people um, working at Gilead. I'm going to miss you know just all the great work that we've been doing and the work that we're going to be doing into the future. But also for me, it's kind of exciting to think okay. And I'm, I'm just kind of going to be open to sort of what's next out there. I'll take some time with my family and kind of live mm-hmm. sort of a you know a, you know day to day on that. But but I'm just kind of explore what's out there. And someone asked me, "What are you going to do?" I said, "I just want to do something impactful." I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be private sector, public sector you know, what, what we'll see, but something impactful. More I know before. that a lot of us
0: will have some very, very clear ideas on what uh, we would imagine it would be great for you to do. So I imagine your email is going to be absolutely packed. But um, so your your final role at Gilead <coughs> has mm-hmm. been Chief Patient Officer. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a bit about what that has involved?
1: So that's involved really trying to uh, do more of putting the patient at the center of our activities, so really trying to listen more to patients, communicate better with the patients what we are doing, and really try to identify the gaps in particularly in access to our medicines, um, whether it be um, financial challenges, whether it be social uh, determinants of health, stigma, discrimination, and really working with them to try to come up with better programs uh, so that, you know, the, the benefits of our products can reach those patients, but also go beyond that as well. So that's that's included the access programs. It's included community
0: relations and some of the um, the philanthropic work as well. So it's, it's been a very interesting bucket of things that, 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 you know, you've been overseeing.
1: Yeah, including medical affairs, yeah. everything. So really kind of rallying everybody together and, we, and we've, you know, developed some common uh, programs um, such as the Compass Program or or the uh, will you know a number of other programs to address disparities in health, but really rallying all those functions together. And um, so it's been a really exciting um, time. So one of the things that I
0: think for many of us involved in global access work is that you got to be okay. It was interim, but you got to be chief executive officer, mm-hmm. and you know that's like a pinnacle for us that that one of our own becomes a CEO. Um, what was that like, and what what did you bring from Access,
1: from mm-hmm. from all the work that you had done to to make that work? Um, so first of all, what was it like? I have to, I can't deny it. it was actually a lot of fun. It was, it was an honor <laughs> um, to to be CEO at Gilead, even in an interim basis. Um, I think it also just reflects the the our, our board of directors, and I'm um, really. Um, seeing the, the the value of the work that we do within the access program. And when I say access program, I mean glo- not just the poor countries of the world, but everywhere. Um, that that type of leadership is what, you know, is important for our company. Mm. And
0: um, the company recently... Uh, made a major investment and partnered with um, a firm I know from way, way back when. It seems everybody at some time has spent some time in Belgium. Um, the Galapagos, Galapagos Group, who are an immunology, immunology company. And, you know, for someone like me with, with severe Crohn's disease, that's a very, very interesting uh, set of investments. But um, I've got to ask you, um, how would you deal with concerns that perhaps the new CEO, Daniel O'Day, is sort of taking the company maybe in a slightly different direction and giving less importance to HIV?
1: So I don't think he's giving less importance to HIV. And if you look at the Galapagos deal, this is really expanding our research at Gilead, really not related to what we're doing to providing access. And he is absolutely committed to to access. He didn't. He, he wanted me to stay, and he was very adamant about that. Um, so my job of, over the next several months is really positioning um, our program, our access program in particular, but also all the elements of the chief patient officer organization to continue the great work we're, we're doing. And if you if you listen to, you know, speaking to Dan, he does not believe that our access program stops with antivirals. He wants that to continue with oncology, with inflammation, assuming we have the right drugs for those um, to, to do the same type of work. And we'll have to modify the program to do that. But no, this is a commitment that Moves forward, and I'm with the team here today, and they're all um, sad to see me leave, but also really ambitious about the future. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think there's going to be a continued market for HIV medicines?
0: Um, a conversation I had in the hallway, um, and it was a bit of a, a bit of a downer conversation. Was that? Well, you know, we're at the point where things are good enough, and you know, policymakers and funders are going to be satisfied with that, and so that will disincentivize uh research exciting research that's happening here
1: have you seen that um i think i've I've heard that concern i don't agree with it i think at the end of the day patients and healthcare providers are going to Ensure that we continue to push forward, and, and as we develop better medicines, they they bring those in. A good example is Mexico. Mexico um, recently there's a sort of a real upsurge among the medical community to demand the latest medicines, the integrase inhibitors, and those that's going to be happening here in Mexico. So you know, and here we are um, in Mexico. But I think if you look at what Gilead's doing with our capsid inhibitor, um, looking at long acting, looking at, um, you know, some of the you know, people who have resistant viruses. So we're still developing products that are meeting unmet medical needs. And we do believe that those will be adopted. There still is room for improvement. Um, and, and while I've got you, and we're talking about this, you mentioned resistance. It mm-hmm. wasn't something
0: in last night's episode we were able to get to, but um, I, I've been sort of quietly anxious about the emergence of particularly NNRTI resistance mm-hmm. um, across Africa, um, and of course we have the WHO uh, working group on resistance. How has resistance, or how how is a concern about resistance, um, affecting the thinking of Gilead scientists?
1: So we we have a program. Well, we have we have a molecule that we're that it's in development right now for resistant virus. And remember, resistance doesn't just occur in Africa. You have, we have resistance in the United States, particularly people who are older, been living with HIV for a long time, maybe didn't have the advantage of the single tablet regimens early on that we have today. It's not a big number of patients. It's not a huge commercial opportunity. But these are people. And so we do have programs to develop medicines to address those needs. And then we need to also look at places like Africa where you, you know, everywhere you visit in Africa, you can hear stories about, you know, again, early on there were some of these sort of substandard regimens that people, you know, benefited from, but also then, you know, they, they now live with the resistance. So we do have this need out there. We need to, you know, always remember that those, those people are out there. And we always need to drive the science towards that and the policy towards that as well.
0: Part of your role over these, these last uh decades has been to be the face of Gilead. Um, and then that therefore means you've had to take the flack for mm-hmm. <laughs> for Gilead. And I'm I'm thinking now of the extraordinary, massive donation that the company has just made um, of Travada in the United States for, for people who can't have access to it. Um, and, and, and there was a group of the community and, you know, particularly the Prep for All folks who 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 levelled some criticisms at the company, um, and and I've been noodling on this. And in the cold light of day, I think there's there's sort of an ideological difference about mm-hmm. how we bring biomedical advances to to communities. Um, and I just wondered what you have learnt um, over the years of working with HIV treatment activists and mm-hmm. how that has, you know, not just challenged you, but how it has perhaps benefited you and expanded your thinking.
1: Well, I think that, that if you look at what happened with the HIV, the, the Truvada donation for PrEP for to the, the CDC in the United States, and the there was the PrEP for All or Break the Patent campaign um, had some, launched some criticisms about that. But this is no different than we had criticism when we launched our licensing program, uh, the Indian license from day one and every version of it. We've had criticism. We can't let that change, you know, what we do. So we actually truly believe that our licensing program benefits millions of patients. We truly believe that the donation um, to the CDC will actually mean more people having access to PrEP. And we can't let that criticism change our views. And um, it's gonna be there. I think that there are philosophical differences and they mostly revolve around intellectual property. They revolve around groups out there that wanna break the intellectual property and see the good things we do, sort of taking some of their thunder away in terms of criticizing us. Um, But look, we're not trying to do these programs to you know, to stop criticism. Um, so we, we just have to continue doing them.
0: Yeah, and and, and again, um, going back to the you, you know your role as interim CEO to have someone uh, you know who has understood the importance of community relations, who's lived that mm-hmm. to be the CEO, I, I I think is a major major achievement for the for the industry.
1: And yeah, you know, I just sorry you also have to remember that for every loud voice out there criticizing us, there's probably a hundred who are applauding us. So well, yeah. we, have, we have a lot of people out there that are really pleased with the work we're doing.
0: yeah, absolutely, and I, I I confess I'm one of them, particularly around the partnership models, which is is sort of where I wanted to go next. i mean I, I, I back in the early 2000s when Gilead um, began this process of providing uh, licenses and entering into tech transfer agreements with comp- uh, with largely indian companies i I think many of us weren't certain how this was going to work and how this was going to be sustainable um and yet here we are you know at the end of the second decade of the of the 21st century and this is straightforward business practice i got to ask you did you know this was going to work or did you think "Oh, we you know let's just try it and see
1: so it's it's Probably a little bit of both. I mean, I, we had a lot of confidence this would work because at the time we launched the, the, the licensing program, the Indian companies were doing very good work in, in Africa. So we just thought, hey, if, and we, we went to India, and we met with them, and they were very excited to work with us. So we really had the hypothesis that, that if we created a truly generic marketplace where they can manufacture our products, set their own prices, we're not interfering with their manufacturing processes or their quality controls, really let them do what they do best, we really did believe that this would work. There was a, there were some people that were worried about diversion or quality or you know would they really be able to drive the prices down but it was a hypothesis yes but with with based on a lot of thinking and a lot of analysis and sure enough it works. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I
0: think what have, one of the things it has been able to do is help um build up the emerging middle income countries and so you 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 are able to um, and and this will be an interesting next phase, I, I guess, for your successors to look at how to move from access markets to <clears throat> to commercial markets. Mm-hmm. But but in principle, this is a great thing. This is exactly what we wanted to see happen.
1: Uh, absolutely. So that that's that is where things have already sort of moved in that in that area, and where I think the work we're doing in middle income markets is is fantastic right now so I, I would just wanted to look at the partnership model
0: perhaps slightly broader and how it mm-hmm. impacts healthcare and what the lessons learnt uh, could be that, that that you might apply i mean as you know i'm a an old stick in the mud um uh, british labour party cradle to grave mm-hmm. national health service person and i accept i come to accept that the private sector does have a role but um but how do you see the provision of healthcare going forward um, and what the roles of the public and private sector may be?
1: So I, I, I do see the public sector taking a more active role in healthcare globally, and that includes the United States of America, that includes, you see China right now, um, with the government really taking over. You know, one of the one of the things that I've learned, and this is per, not just particular to middle income countries, but all countries, is where the burden of healthcare is out of pocket on a patient, it really doesn't work. Um, for, for, for all the obvious reasons. I mean, you have disparities in health, you have um, an undue burden on somebody who comes down with a, whether it's a chronic disease or a, 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 some form of trauma. Um, so we, you either have to have a national program or you have to have broad insurance programs, but there, there needs to be a way so people don't have to directly bear the cost and impact of paying for not just medicine, but for healthcare. If you're able to, when, you, when you're when you able to do that the right way, you have that right balance of that incentive for innovation, but also people having access. And that's, where I, that's why I do see more of this sort of public response because insurance models don't really work yeah. in many countries around the world. And I, 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 I love the idea of, of having broad national insurance, but I really think it comes down to taxpayer-funded health programs for people.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, uh, of course, totally with you. And I, I think one of the interesting things that we're all looking at is how we, Try and work with um, the emerging working class mm-hmm. um, in 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 many countries around the world uh, to begin saving for uh, wellness rather than having to, you know. Get make emergency investments in medical crises that mm-hmm. that can um, you know financially destabilize the entire families. So so that's I, I think one of the things. Again, it's very interesting that a biopharmaceutical company is interested in that as well.
1: Yeah, no, we do need to focus on making people healthy, not making them healthy when they're sick. One of the other questions: keeping people healthy. Yeah, keeping people healthy. Keeping people. Do you know, you and I were in a prep
0: preparation meeting, I think ten years ago, maybe at a conference like this. And um, you know I've had these concerns over the years of, of, you know, using the same compounds for prevention as we do for treatment. And I I made, I confess, one of my slightly foolish rant comments on the floor saying that we needed to do what was right for the drugs. Um, and I'll never forget it, you said to me, you corrected me and said, no Ben, what we have to do is what's right for the right for the patients. And as you look back over your, your career, how well do you think we've done really
1: on prep in particular or overall overall oh, i, I th- I'm, so you have to you know ben i'm a, I'm a really positive person, so for me, the glass is actually more than half full all yeah. the time but um no, I think we've done like we need to be proud of what we've done. If you go back to you know when I started at Gilead, you know the the state of HIV was it's so far away from where we are today. I mean, the ability to reach patients in Africa, the quality of the medicine we have, prevention um, is is in its early stages right now, I'd say. But we've come a long way on prep, so I think we should be very proud. But I think you know, I think you know, the, my mantra always is we need to keep our foot on the accelerator and maybe even put, push put get, get a little more gas on that um, because we have such an opportunity right now to you know stop new infections and stop AIDS deaths and um, um, that's where we we should all be thinking, and and to do that, we need to tackle I think some of the most challenging areas in HIV. One of those being stigma and discrimination. I think if, if that that to me is probably the single most deadly component in, in in HIV right now is is people who lack access to care or um, access to good care because of that, and that you know because of of the direct discrimination or lack of funding, lack of political will to, to take care of people. We need to really address that. Because all the we know what to do. Yeah, no. We know ab- what to do. Absolutely.
0: A- absolutely. And I sort of think of it as, you know, testing being an entry point, but stigma and testing are so intimately bound up with each other. Um and, and I found doing these podcasts, despite my best efforts to be pragmatically miserable, you cannot help but be Optimistic about what we've done in the in the HIV field.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: So, it's taking it more broadly, then, what um, what are you most excited about in the field of biomedical research? Period. Are there are there um, other areas besides infectious disease that that you think deserve our close attention?
1: Um, outside of infectious disease, well, it's hard. It's, I mean, that's really been my my focus for for so long. So. Um, I think cancer i think that where where things are going in oncology right now i think we can envision very inexpensive very potent easy to use cancer therapies which are really needed uh, throughout the world and so um you know i I think over the next 10 years we're going to see that i'm not talking about the CRISPR and the cell therapy i'm talking about you know small molecule easy to produce um easy to distribute that can be used first line um in patients with very minimal side effects. I, I think that's a really exciting area to get into. Um, I think that's, that's to me that's that's a very interesting new area.
0: And again, I love the way that you come at this primarily from an access perspective. Um,
1: well, that's where the big needs are. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's big needs everywhere, but I think if to, for me, when I say I want, I want my next my next job or whatever, I want to do something impactful. That's where the impact is. That's where the, the greatest needs are. Well. Uh, just just staying in
0: the, well, it's not the future, it's the present. Um, I, I wanted you perhaps to reflect a bit about the commitment uh, that Gilead has made uh, in Ebola. I mean, we have now a public health emergency of uh, international concern in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, and, and in many ways, uh, so many of us in public health are wringing our hands because we just can't seem to get it right. But Gilead has taken a different approach in the research. Mm-hmm. Instead of looking at vaccines, you've been looking at treatment. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if you could tell us where you are with that and, and what your thoughts are for the future.
1: Yeah, so so just a little history on this. So when, when the first sort of a Ebola crisis came around, um, we, as, been, as well as many other companies, screened our antiviral libraries to see if we had any... Com- um, Compounds that would actually be good at targeting the Ebola virus, and we, we came up with with a, with a compound that it actually targets Ebola, SARS, MERS, a number of other um, uh, uh, emerging viruses, um, and we've uh, been we worked with USAMRID um, on some um, animal models um, evaluating this compound. And it's also been used on an emergency basis a couple times successfully, although you know, these are not well-controlled um, studies. So right now we're, in, we're 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 working with MSF, we're working with WHO, and um, Congo, the DRC, um, to be prepared to actually commence a a clinical study, probably starting with people that have existing reservoirs for for Ebola, but again, um, really trying to get out to those who are are sick. But as you know, right now the ability to do clinical work in DRC is is really really challenging for yeah, us. It's extremely, and so, yeah. so we have the scientific challenges. There's some safety concerns and other concerns with the compound that you often have in early stages of development. But layer on top of that, you're in a war zone.
0: Yeah, I exactly. Mean, I mean, and the social political tensions there are, are are such that there's you know there's 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 really very little we can do in the traditional clinical trial model. Um, and, and, and talking about um, Instability. Here we are in Mexico, and dare I say, just down the road is is Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gilead has been um, quietly, perhaps, but quite active in supportive in supporting <clears throat> efforts to bring particularly HIV medications to the country. Um, how has that worked? And 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 you know how have you how have you managed to stay out of the uh, stay out of the fight zone, as it were?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, there there are a number of NGOs that are committed to bringing ARVs. I mean, for us, it's such a tragedy to think of people living with HIV that are on suppressive therapy, and then suddenly, because of a government breakdown, um, it disrupts their supply. So, what we are doing is working with a number of NGOs. We're supplying product um, that it it is getting into the country, but it's not perfect. You know, this is not a perfect situation, but we're, I guess, we're doing what we can in supplying funding as well.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Greg, I, I, I wanted at the end of this chat to, to, to touch on something perhaps more personal. And it's <clears throat> not something that I think many of us routinely know about you, um, but it's your Native American heritage. Um, you keep it private and uh, completely understand that. But, but you and your family are, are very committed to addressing uh, particularly the health issues of the Native American populations in the United States. I see that that's that's very important to you, and uh, but perhaps could you tell us the ways in which your uh, Native American soul, if you like, has helped you, has driven you professionally and personally?
1: Um, so I would say, growing up, um, being so I don't hide my Native American ancestry. I just you know don't like go hi I'm Greg. I'm Native American to people. Um, but um, you know, growing up, and I was very close to the community. Um, I think it has exposed me to. Um, just not just financial um, barriers um, and discrimination that that exists. I think that has always helped out um, in terms of how I think about things and how I th- think about caring for people. Um, I've also just you know um, I have three adopted children. I think you know that as well. They're all na- they're Native American um, that are basically refugees of drug drug addiction. Uh, so that's also exposed me to you know some of the the ugly side of what what happens in. in in, in drug addiction, and so that's also, I think, shaped me a bit, um, but yeah, we've, we've you know, at Gilead, I think that's, it's no coincidence, I've been behind some of the work we're doing with Cherokee Nation right now, working with um, uh, University of Oklahoma, now directly with the, with Cherokee Nation, um, but um, yeah, I don't know, there's, you know, I think, you know, the other thing that I think people need to understand, the Native American community, there is a, there, there is a, a lot of need for in, in HIV and in, in hepatitis, and so, been, been engaged in that as well um but in uh, something else th- that people probably don't recognize i did some work with um um you know i'm a i'm a, I'm a recovering lawyer or as I <laughs> a recovering say, lawyer, but i've actually done some work with um indian legal services mm. um representing um uh the civil rights of, of native americans and that that's also been part of my experience as well
0: well greg i I know that um, we're going to continue to see much, much more of you. And I, I know a shot in the arm subscribers are going to be fascinated to know where you land up and what you do next. But um, just a deep thank you, I know, from many of us for all the work you have done um, over the last 20 years. Um, and, you know, we just wouldn't be where we are today, I think, without what you and the company has done. So Thank you for being a shot in the arm.
1: All right. Thank you, Ben.